Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. C-13 Originals. This is a documentary series about Tracy Lords, who entered the porn industry at age 15 and left at age 18. There are some who view this as the story of a young girl who was taken advantage of by a brutal industry. There are others who view this as the story of a smart and resourceful young woman who, armed with a legitimate ID, nearly took down said industry, as well as the people in it. There are still others who view this as the story of the unlikeliest of feminist icons. All views will be discussed. These are real-life events. These are real people being interviewed. This podcast contains adult themes and graphic language. Listener discretion is advised. Previously on Once Upon a Time in the Valley... We learn that Tracy's version of events and the adult industry's version of events clash violently. I call BS. I call BS on her. We drop by the offices of Tracy's agency, World Modeling, the center of the mid-80s porn world. I drove past that night and went, there it is, a fucking sign, World Modeling. And had a long chat with Tracy's agent, Jim South, the central figure in the mid-80s porn world. This is going to sound funny. Even with the business that I'm in, it's almost like I'm their father. We learn that porn stars are made, not born. We even learned how they're made. First step, quit working your regular job. Start working as a nude model. I had no problem with nudity whatsoever, but I had some reservations about if they would hire me as a short model. But when you're naked, it really doesn't matter. (laughs) And if you're proportionate right, it really doesn't matter. Just make sure you don't lose your nerve. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I'm getting naked. I'm going to turn around. I don't know what he's going to do to me. I'm Lily Analik, and this is Once Upon a Time in the Valley, featuring Ashley West. Okay, Ashley, so we're with Tracy. We're also with Ginger Lynn and Christy Canyon, two of Tracy's exact contemporaries in the adult world. And we're on the road to becoming video vixens, i.e. female porn stars, 1984 style. Tracy has already had her face-to-face interview with agent Jim South. Jim's taken a Polaroid of her. Now what? The next step will be a shoot with a professional photographer. Tracy skimped on the details in a major way in her memoir, Underneath It All. So we're going to accompany Christy Canyon on her first shoot, which is with Ron Vogel. The very same Ron Vogel, by the way, in Jim's Damn He Popped On My Face story from last episode. Yeah, the porn universe is a small one in the mid-80s and relatively unpopulated. Here's Christy. It was at Ron Vogel's house, like deep in the valley. I was living in Hollywood. And I remember listening to Phil Collins in my gold Scirocco. And it was comforting for some reason. And it was on cassette. I can feel it coming in, the, whatever that song was called. I remember thinking, I want to keep listening to the song to calm me down, because there was something calming about that song. And I kept pushing that rewind button and hoping I'd stop it in time. Remember, you had to like push rewind, fast forward on the, the cassette tapes. 
And I got there and I parked and it was at his house, kind of like a track house deep in the valley. He was very professional, explained everything beautifully. And then he said, now I'd like to introduce you to my daughter, Alexis. She will be your makeup and hair artist. It was like, I'm home. I like these people. I was scared. And yet I had this beautiful girl. It was very sensual having a stranger, let alone a girl, and I'd never been with a girl, but touching my face. Like, I didn't have to think. She just did everything. Close your eyes, open your eyes, look to the right, look to the left, pucker your lips, bup, bup, you know, that kind of thing. I felt like someone was taking care of me for the first time. And Chrissy's first experience in front of the camera is a good one. Reassuring, but also renegade. I rebelled at about 17, got a drunk driving ticket, stole my stepdad's credit cards and charged them up. I mean, nothing horrible, but enough for them, you know, and they were going through their own stuff. So no one gave me any attention. I was crying out for attention. What better way than to get into porn? You know what I mean? It was the biggest F you out there. It's a terrific little tear Christy went on there. But Ashley, will anything beat the passage from her memoir, Lights, Camera, Sex? The gold standard in porn memoirs, by the way. I'm going to quote it. This was the ultimate fuck you to the parents who cast me aside. This was, to me, the highest form of rebellion. Daddy's little girl, buck naked for the world to jack off to. Yeah, that one is unbeatable. For Ginger Lynn, on the other hand, there's no nerves or second guessing because there's no time. She goes from Jim and his Polaroid camera to a professional photographer in a single breath. What I did was I went into Jim's office and we took the Polaroids. And the day that I was in there, there was a photographer by the name of Stephen Hicks who wanted to shoot me for Penthouse. And I said, great. And he said, well, I'm going to Mexico. I'll be back in two weeks. I was still sitting in the office when Suze came in and said, I want to shoot you for Penthouse. And I said, I can't. I'm already shooting for Steven. And she said, no, you're shooting for me. <laughs> Suze is Suze Randall. I didn't like the other photographers. And we were competitive, you know. You think I'm going to be friendly with those assholes and trying to steal my girls? Yeah, I know. Suze is very important to everyone in the industry, but she's especially important to Tracy. We asked Jim South to describe her. She is one of the best photographers there ever was, has a great personality, and she gets away with murder. If Jim is the dirty daddy of the industry, Suze is the dirty mommy. Here's Ginger on Suze. Suze Randall is, she's a superhero in the industry. She is a woman that I look up to, that I want to be like when I grow up. I respect her. I admire her. Suze shot photographs of all of us. Suze knew all of us. Suze put her arm around all of us. Suze took care of, loved, nurtured, gave direction. She's just amazing. I think anybody that knows her wants to be like her. Here's the story on Suze. She was born in England in 1946. At 18, she moved to London to study nursing, but switched to modeling, both fashion and nude. 
She briefly considered a career as an actress in straight movies and was cast in a small role in Eric Romare's 1972 film, Love in the Afternoon, before deciding she wanted to be on the other side of the camera. In 1975, she came to America to shoot Lillian Muller for Playboy and never left. She became one of the most successful photographers in the business. Her husband, writer Humphrey Knipe, was also an industry mainstay, directing adult films under the name Victor Nye. Suze had several advantages over her male counterparts. One, she wasn't male. Two, she was an ex-model. And three, she was so relaxed and uninhibited, she made her models relaxed and uninhibited too. Here's Suze. I'm just a cheerleader. It's really about the girls feeling good. I want them to lower their shoulders and relax their arms and point their toes and open their legs. <laughs> Play with their tiddlywonk. And so that's why I was good, because they could see this silly girl not knowing what she was doing and fussing around, and they didn't take it so seriously. Whereas men are very important and extremely good lighting people and everything. So the girl's like this, stiff as a board. Here's Christy on the Sue's experience. She was like this ball of energy. She cared about wardrobe more than the others. She cared about makeup more than the others. She had such energy and made the model feel so beautiful, but in a fun, sexy way. Like, oh, yes, show me that pussy from below, you know, and she'd be on the ground shooting. Great, give me those natural titties at the camera. Like, she was sexy, but in a really fun, lighthearted way. It's a match made in heaven. The adult industry loves working with Suze, and Suze loves working with it. Prefers working with it, in fact, to working with Hollywood, a place she can't say enough bad things about. It's hell. It's horrible. It's really awful. Bunch of dodgy people who never mean what they say. Then I don't really like hanging around waiting for celebs to be ready. You know, that's a whole nother game. And they all have people who represent them and you've got to deal with all the politics. And uh, uh, No, you have no, I, I don't like that. There's less bullshit in the adult industry, according to Suze, and you don't have to bow and scrape. You've got more control, huge difference. I could be my own boss. Otherwise I have to suck up to people. For me, Ashley, the wildest thing about the porn industry, already a wild, wild, way far out there place, is how counterintuitively feminist it is, or at least was then in the mid 80s. Yeah, it's certainly true in a monetary sense. Female performers out-earn male performers and by a considerable margin. Male performer Herschel Savage on why this is so. It's understandable. I mean, if you're heterosexual, I mean, I don't... (laughs) I mean, I can look at a really gorgeous guy and say that's a really gorgeous guy, but there's no feeling of, wow, you know, it's not there. I mean, the women are driving sales unless you have a huge schlong or something, and then that's another sick avenue for people to explore. And it's the female performers who call the shots. If they don't want to work with a male performer, he's toast. Sue's again. The industry is amazing because you don't have to have thousands of agents and, and reps and people telling and stand in line. You, you have your own power. You have your pussy there and you're just throwing it in the wind and you've got a lot of power. And I think it gives women a lot of confidence to suddenly realize how much power they've got instead of being submissive. So I, I think it's very healthy. Also counterintuitively, 
It's the porn industry, i.e. the sex exploitation industry, that's not sexually exploitive. Not compared to Hollywood, anyway. We're going to eavesdrop on an exchange between two former adult actresses, Kelly Nichols, who appeared in mainstream movies like The Toolbox Murders and was Jessica Lange's body double in King Kong, and Veronica Hart, who appeared in Boogie Nights and Magnolia, and whom director Paul Thomas Anderson has dubbed the Meryl Streep of porn. The Me Too movement was definitely not in effect back then. And the whole thing with casting couches was definitely a thing. Except it was more like casting parties and stuff. You would go and, you know, if you show your appreciation and then you get invited back to the party and then they might tell you a part they had. I mean, there were some movies that would like look at your talent and hire you on straight away. But while you're waiting for that break to happen, there were the parties. When I went and partied, I just partied to have fun. I didn't, you know, meet anything or anybody or anything. Any of the the straight stuff that I ever got, he never got through sleeping with anybody. And I slept with everyone. <laughs> and it got me nowhere. That was one of the refreshing things about the adult business was there wasn't really a casting couch because here you were, your goods were already out, you know? So you didn't have some of that double standard stuff that went on in Hollywood. It's very refreshing. It's after bedtime, the kids are asleep, and the moms are out to play. We're Dina and Kristen, the duo behind the Instagram account, Big Little Feelings. I'm Dina, I'm a child therapist and mom of two who nerds out on all things neurobiology and psychology, and Kristen is a parent coach who wrangles three kids on a daily basis, here to give it to us like it is. We weren't meant to do this parenting thing alone. Consider After Bedtime your village. Follow After Bedtime with Big Little Feelings on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Now Tracy's ready for her close-up with a pro, Suze Randall. Though it's actually Suze's husband, Humphrey, who sees Tracy first. He and Suze discuss with me and Ashley that fateful sighting. Well, we were in a small house in Mar Vista at the time. And uh, it had a little cement driveway up to the garage. And I was outside polishing the car, red Cadillac. And I saw this car draw up, and this old gent with a gray beard, must have been about 50, 60, come out. And then on the far side, this gorgeous creature came out and hobbled up the driveway in the high heels that were much too high for her. Who was the guy? It's supposedly her mother's boyfriend, which she was probably having an affair with. Well, she has a face with everybody. Yeah. He, we he, don't know that. Yeah. He drove her around. Yeah, because this was days. before she was driving. Tracy fast becomes Suze's favorite model. I asked Suze what made Tracy so great. I don't know what made her so great. She was such a great mover. She was so amazing. She was so sexually provocative. provocative. When we were in Cabo going into a restaurant, People would stand up and clap when she walked in. Because she walked in with such a swagger. Yeah, she was just so... Oh, I would never think she was underage. No. You wouldn't dream of it. No. You mean the level of confidence? Her confidence, yeah, her sexuality. She's the only person I ever shot at sunrise. I couldn't find her, and she was out on the beach fucking a friend as the sun rose. You know, she she was... uh, She was endless. 
But Sue's and Tracy's relationship goes beyond photographer-model. I mean, I was really close to her. I mean, I really helped her. That closeness doesn't, of course, keep Tracy from shooting with other photographers. This is adult director Michael Carpenter on why the camera can't keep its eye off her. Only, Ashley, you're going to have to read his quote since he gave it back in 2003 and has since disappeared. Is either going by a different name or is dead. Let's hope the former. So this is Michael Carpenter speaking. The difference between a good model and a bad model is the good models know the camera. I mean, their face is always toward the camera. The good models are so used to conning guys, the camera's like a guy. And they con the camera. Conning guys was something Tracy was expert at, according to Jim South. She seemed to catch on to knowing some of the people that were stars in the business real quick. She was phenomenal looking. I think she was very wild. She loved to control people, especially men. She used to plop down in people's laps. She did sit in my lap, plop down. There were a lot of people there. We weren't alone in that little bitty office on the side. And she put her hands on my face, kissed me, and stuck her tongue down my throat. Ashley and I aren't in the business of puncturing illusions, so we hope Jim doesn't feel special because Tracy put the moves on him. We'll let Suze deliver the bad news. She was so aggressive sexually, you would never think she was too young. I mean, we'd have dinner with Buck Henry and something, she'd be playing footsie, scaring the hell out of him under the table. She came on to your husband, to your boyfriend, she came on to every male that was around. Early on, Jim gets Tracy the penthouse centerfold. Tell me why that's significant, Ashley. For three reasons. First, penthouses at the top or very near the top of the food chain in terms of nude modeling. Second, it's in Penthouse that Tracy Lords actually becomes Tracy Lords. Up to that point, she'd used a different fake name for every magazine she'd appeared in. Right, Tracy says she named herself after a childhood crush, Jack Lord, the star of Hawaii Five-0. But Tracy Lord, Tracy with a Y and Lord singular, is the name of Katherine Hepburn's character, a hoity-toity society girl in Ice Maiden, in the classic Hollywood screwball comedy, The Philadelphia Story. It's difficult to imagine that 15-year-old Tracy was familiar with the 1940 film, so likely someone suggested the name to her. Still, it's a funny joke even if she didn't know she was making it. And in any case, taking on an official nom de porn does indicate a certain level of seriousness about the business. Here's how Christy Canyon got hers. I was out to dinner with the owner of Paradise Visuals, And we went to a great restaurant and I was so hungry. I had two dinners and at dinner, he's like, we need to come up with a really hot name for you. And I'm like thinking, why? Who fucking cares? You know, I'm just some girl fucking on film. Like I really didn't take it seriously. And he came up with the name Christy Canyon. I didn't even, I'm not even that fucking creative. (laughs) He came up with it. And I just thought, God, that's one less thing I got to fucking worry about. I'll take that and run. I was like eating dessert. I'm like, great, fucking put that down. I love it. Perfect. I'm Christy Canyon now. It's easy for Christy. Amber Lynn has a tougher time. You're going to have to explain who Amber Lynn is. We've talked about the three big girls of the era. Tracy, Ginger Lynn, Christy Canyon. But there's a fourth, Amber Lynn. There were four girls that were in every movie. And it was me, Ginger Lynn, Christy Canyon and Tracy Lord. If you picked up a movie once we went into the home video market, 
it would always have these girls on it. We've held off mentioning Anne Boleyn because Anne Boleyn isn't repped by Jim South. She's repped by Reb Sowitz, the only other porn agent in town at the time. Right, so Amber breaks the pattern a bit. As you've probably noticed, listeners, Amber Lynn and Ginger Lynn are both Lynns, but they're not related. And their shared nomenclature is a point of contention initially. Here's Ginger. I met this guy who his family went to, they were members of the Yacht Club, and they had all this, and they had all that, and he wanted me to change my name and quit the business and do all of these things. And so I was over at Harry Reem's house doing what any girl would naturally do when you don't know what to do about your boyfriend. You go to a porn star's house and you bring a bottle of Jack Daniels. We're doing shots. We're getting shit faced and we're on the Harry's place is on the beach and it's just wonderful. And, you know, I'm crying and he's being like my dad and, you know, we're kind of fooling around at the same time. And, you know, and, Jamie Gillis shows up with Amber Lynn, and this is not her name at the time. And so I, she's introduced with her real name, and then she says, but I'm going to be Amber Lynn. And I said, you can't be Amber Lynn, I'm Ginger Lynn. And we kind of got into this little fight over, you know, she and Jamie, they caught up real quick with the shots, and then we just, we were all smoking and drinking and snorting and just really fucked up. And somehow, Amber and I went from wanting to like catfight each other, I mean, real close to deciding that girls could fuck better than guys. And so... <laughs> Poor Harry and poor Jamie had to sit there while Amber and I, we started on the stairway. That's where we were sitting where we were like, kind of having it out. And we just started going down on each other and finger fucking and banging and something. And, you know, we're just going at it, having the best time ever. And we became friends and, you know, to this day, as far as I know, you never know with her. (laughs) Wow, a porn meet cute story. Amber's memory of that first encounter pretty much matches Ginger's, though in Amber's memory, they had sex on a lawn chair while Harry Reems and Jamie Gillis watched, not a stairway. Doesn't get cuter than that. But back to Penthouse and Tracy's centerfold spread. The third reason Penthouse is significant is because on Tracy's cover is Vanessa Williams. Vanessa Williams is the first black Miss America and the first Miss America to relinquish her title, which she's forced to do because Penthouse is publishing, in that very issue, lesbian-themed photos of her taken two years before. The scandal makes the issue one of the best-selling in the magazine's history. Here's Ginger Lynn. You know, everybody knew Tracy was in, in Penthouse, primarily because Tracy told everybody and she, was, she seemed to be very, very excited about it. Tracy was already in demand. I'm on everything. Oh, I know you are. I mean, everywhere I go, I'm a cover girl. Yeah. Everywhere, in every magazine. Even if I'm not, a, I don't even have a layout in half of them. Now she's so in demand, she's practically ungettable. As Humphrey Knipe remembers. You called the agent, Jim South, who was an agent at that time, saying that uh, he had a, a card up in his wall uh, where he blocked out the days she was available, and usually there was no days available. So she was very popular. Tracy is still strictly a nude model, no pornos yet, when she comes to the attention of Tom Byron. This is Tim Connolly, a journeyman coxman, on Tom Byron, a star coxman. 
he had a big dick and he could fuck and girls liked him and he didn't have to say anything and he and he just had this big dick that got really hard and looked good on camera and if anything he looked kind of scrawny and had a little bit of a pot belly um and as soon as he would talk people would go just you don't need to talk tommy and 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 he didn't and he was great at it Tommy was the guy you could pal around with that would you'd be really happy when everybody pulled their pants down and you were with the guy that had the big dick, you know, because they'd remember that if nothing else. They'd, so one of you had a big dick. It was probably, you know, you must have had a bigger dick because you were hanging out with him. Tom sees Tracy's picture before he sees her. I mean, the way to get work, you know, especially male talent, was to kind of like stop by Jim's office, hang around Jim's office. So... You know, I would stop by just to, you know, see Jim, see what's going on, blah, blah, blah. And he would show me who the new girls were. And I'd be, oh, God, I want to work with her. I want to work with her. And one day he had Tracy Lords. And I was like, oh, okay. And he told me the story about, you know, this old creepy looking guy brought her in. And, but, and, you know, her pores were freaking gorgeous. So I, I knew of her before I actually met her. Ashley and I are always eager to hear more about the man Tracy calls Roger Hayes, the man Jim South calls Something Rogers. Tom Byron remembers him by yet another name. Some guy named Bob brought her in. He had a comb over and he had like, I think he was a stepfather. I don't know. He was the guy that brought her in initially with Jim South. That makes three names. Roger Hayes, Something Rogers, and now Comb Over Bob. What, I wonder, could the real one be? Back to Tom and how he met Tracy. She did magazines for a few months before she did her first film. That was the thing back then. You know, especially these really attractive girls, they would do the magazine route first. Do Hustler, do Penthouse, do all the major magazines. It was kind of a way to ease girls into it. You know what I'm saying? So basically, Ashley, it's a seduction. That's right, and a slow one. Here's Jim South. Half the time when girls have come in, they've gotten a warning from a girlfriend or they've gotten a warning from a relative or the boyfriend doesn't want them doing it, so you don't want to spook them. Okay, when they come in, of course, they already know that it's nude, that they have to be willing to do full nudity. Contrary to popular belief, They don't have to do movies for me to handle them if they're willing to do nudes. But I would also tell them that we do handle a certain percentage of X-rated movies. That if they decide to do it, you can make a lot more money, which is true. And you can accept or reject any job that we get you. Everything is up to you. It's on the set of a porn movie, which Tracy is not supposed to be performing in. You'll recall she's hired to walk around in a bikini and deliver one line of dialogue that she and Tom finally meet. The way Tracy tells it and underneath it all, it's Tom who hits on her. That's not the way Tom remembers it. But going back to where I first met her, it was uh, this guy Dick Miller uh, was doing a movie called What Gets Me Hot. And initially, she she was going to be in the movie just like introducing the scenes or whatever. At this point, she's still doing, you know, still photography, just, you know, photos. So she wasn't like actually booked to do a hardcore scene in that movie. But I was on that movie working with someone else and we were like hanging out on this deck while they were shooting a sex scene in the other room. 
And I don't know, she just kind of came, came on to me, you know, started sitting on my lap. And I was like, oh, my God, this gorgeous girl sitting on my lap. Wow, this is cool. And we started, like, you know, kind of making out and stuff. We asked Tom what he thought the source of attraction was, why Tracy was so drawn to him. Maybe that was part of the reason she gravitated to me, because I was kind of a big deal back then. That's in line with what Jim South said, that Tracy assessed who was powerful in the business and then aligned herself with those people, the movers and shakers. It gets a bit complicated, though, because it seems as if Tracy also liked Tom because he wasn't a swinging dick, meaning he was a porn stud who didn't act like a porn stud. He was unaggressive, unassuming, gentle. Here's Tom again. I mean, I was still a kid. I was like in my early 20s. I hadn't had a lot of experience until I got in the business. I didn't have a big sexual history before I got in porn. You know what I'm saying? So I basically learned how to have sex, how to relate to women and everything else from being in the porn industry. I didn't come on strong with anybody. And I think maybe that's what turned her on to me. I don't know, because I was very non-threatening. She made the first move, and I kind of like went with it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's what kind of like overwhelmed me, because, you know, here was this girl that if I was in high school and I saw this girl, that would be the girl that would be with the quarterback. I always kind of thought of myself as a little skinny geek. And all of a sudden, this girl that would be with the big man on campus is coming on to me, and I was just like, wow, this is awesome. Tom and Tracy start dating. She didn't have a car, so I had a car, so I would pick her up in Redondo Beach and drive her to the set. Because, you know, she'd have a fucking car. She wasn't old enough to drive. Like I said, I, I hung out at gyms a lot to get work, and, you know, we, we were kind of like friends. So a lot of the thing, like, with me picking her up in Redondo Beach and driving her shoes was not only, A, I really liked her, it was kind of helping Jim out, too. You know, getting her to the sets and stuff. That's sort of like how we, like, sort of hooked up. It's more than a relationship of convenience, though. There's real emotion there, certainly on Tom's side. Basically, I was just a kid in puppy love. You know what I mean? So we just go out and go to dinner, come back, have sex, and just kind of like a little high school romance. Which isn't to say that Tracy has split with the guy she's living with, an unemployed AWOL ex-Marine she calls Sonny in her memoir, an abuser, she claims. His real name is Tommy. Here's Tom Byron on Tommy. She had a, a boyfriend in, in Redondo Beach, uh, this guy Tommy, this little blonde surfer kid. You know, it's just a little, you know, a little fucking surfer punk, you know, just, he had, you know, his cheesy little mustache and blonde, bleached blonde hair. And I think I saw him once at, at, a, at a trade show. So I had no, you know, had no interaction with him whatsoever. Whither Roger Hayes? We know Roger took Tracy to her initial meeting with Jim South, and it sounds as if he took her to her initial photo session with Suze Randall as well. Maybe Sonny, excuse me, Tommy, chases Roger off. Or Tracy just got rid of Roger. It's entirely possible that she was using him for his set of wheels. Now she has another set, Tom Byron's. Obviously, Tommy isn't her set of wheels because Tom Byron only sees him the once, so he isn't hanging around sets. And it sounds like Tommy's too broke for wheels. No job, no car. 
We asked him south if the first time he encountered Roger was also the last. So did Bob Rogers disappear pretty quickly? Oh, Rogers? I never saw him after that. Okay, so Tracy's in the adult world now, and with no more adult supervision. So, Ashley, what's the next step for her? Movies? Remember, I said it was a slow seduction. After single girl pictures, there's a softcore layout, also called simulation. Then a hardcore. Then a movie. Well, I guess Tracy gets impatient because she skips a step. Here's Jim South and Tom Byron. I booked her with a photographer named Lance Kincaid. And Lance Kincaid shot her and Tom Byron together, and it was a simulation shoot, just touching, no penetration. She agreed to do one with me, like a still photo, and it was a softcore thing. They started fucking on the set, and the shooter had to stop shooting. I think we ended up kind of, you know, because we were into each other. I mean, I was into her, and we, we kind of made it hardcore. Go hardcore or go home. Next time on Once Upon a Time in the Valley, it's lights, camera, X-rated action. Sometimes you're working with crews that are just not good. They don't have it together sound-wise, camera-wise, lighting-wise, and it's anti-sexual. You want to flow, you know. So um, I was in a scene with Tracy, and it was a lot of stopping and starting, and uh, it was a little annoying. And I remember she was bent over the bed for me to go into her doggy style, and she just spit in her hand and put it on her pussy, and it was like, let's go. You know, it was like, I was like tough pro, you know? It cracked me up, man. But that's who Tracy was, man. This has been a presentation of C-13 Originals, a division of Cadence 13. Executive produced by Chris Corcoran and me, Lily Analik. Directed by Zach Levitt. Created and written by me. Produced by Ashley West. Edited and mastered by Chris Basil, Bill Schultz, Perry Crowell, and Ian Mont. Theme music and original score by Joel Goodman. Production engineering and coordination by Sean Cherry and Terrence Malangone. Field recording by Rich Berner. Artwork, marketing, and PR by Kurt Courtney, Josephina Francis, and Hilary Schuff. Once Upon a Time in the Valley is hosted by me and Ashley West. Thanks for listening. Relationships are hard, and that's why I'm here. Hey friend, it's Cammie Crawford. Think of me as your big sister slash audible BFF that you can always trust to give you the real tea. This is my show, Relationship, the advice podcast that covers all relationship topics. Send your story to hello at relationshippod.com or DM me at relationship on IG and tune in for new episodes every Friday. Listen and follow Relationship with Cammie Crawford on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.